All right, so uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But before we get there, I want to read this passage of Scripture. And if you've been familiar with church settings for any length of time, or even if you're a sort of a non-churched person, you've probably heard this in your travels before. And in particular, the ladies, you have heard this before, and it may have made you cringe a little bit. So I'm going to read this passage. It's somewhat lengthy, but this is going to form the basis for what we're going to talk about today. It's from Ephesians chapter 5 and starting at verse 16. Okay, uh, and I'll read it all the way through. He's going to talk about roles and relationships and expectations. Listen closely. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That's an old word. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'll pause for a second. You have, many of you in your Bibles, a little, a little title or something in between verse 20 and verse 21. And that's half the problem. I want you, if you're reading out of a Bible that has that title, to completely ignore the title and just go right from verse 20 to verse 21. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How? Who? Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Ouch! Right? All the ladies and the wives, you're like, what is he talking about? And husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I read this at weddings all the time. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's from the book of Genesis. You still with me so far? Okay, ladies, just hold on. We'll get to it, okay? This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, we're jumping right into Ephesians 6. Forget about the title. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. We're almost done. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. 
with respect and fear. Good grief, slaves. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each of you uh, for whatever good you do, whether slave or free. And masters, we conclude with this, treat your slaves in the same way, do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. All right, we're going to look at this passage uh, in what may be a very, very different way for you this morning. Ephesians 5 and 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what the writer, the Apostle Paul, does here is he goes through these relationships trying to describe how this is done. And what is difficult, again, is that little header between verse 20 and verse 21 makes us think that he's breaking his train of thought. He is not. The whole passage with regard to, the, to the, the, the key players, wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, is how do we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in marriage, in family, and at work is how this will apply to us today. Are you with me so far? All right. So let's look at the first set of relationships, and this is the one that gets people all confused. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we have a picture of a, of a married thing here. If you go to the next slide, Nick. Okay, so here we're talking about marriage a little bit. I want you to observe the images closely, all right? So, so here's the wife to order a Christian husband. Click submit. I hope you get the pun there. Okay, and here on the other side, you have a husband actually washing his wife's feet at a wedding ceremony. Rather nice picture. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How is this done? And this is where we get into all the confusion. So in marriage, first observation I want you to see about this passage. <laughs> That's the, yeah, please turn that off. Thank you. In marriage, the first observation I want you to see is that the word submit is not in verse number 22. Okay, so where it says in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, the word is not there. In, in modern English translations, most of them, even ones that boast that they're a word-for-word -word translation, they put this in there and they put the word submit in there. And the reason that they do this is because what we have between verse 21 and verse 22 is called a dangling participle, if you're an English teacher. So the way that it's written in the, in the, the Greek language is this way. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Well, wives to your husbands what as you do to the Lord? Well, obviously it means submit. So we take the word and we put that word submit in there and we add it in there because we have a dangling participle from verse 21. This is why I tell you that verse 21 and verse 22, they go right together. So what's really being said there, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. 
So it's tying the two passages together, and this is key, because some people just start at verse 22. They say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But they don't read verse 21, which says, submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord. He's not just talking to wives here. He's talking to a broader group of people. And when we start our thinking at verse 22, we make a mistake. We have to start it at verse 21, and then verse 22 is the application. Another mistake we make, the husband is not the Lord. How many of you are thankful, if you're married or have ever been married, that your husband isn't God? You should be happy, because if he were God, you'd be in big trouble. The husband is not the Lord. This is a simile that's being drawn. So submit as to the Lord. That's a simile. That's an image. It's not trying to say that your husband is God. And another mistake that we make with the passage is head here in verse 25. uh, uh, The husband is the head of the wife. This does not mean the boss. And this is the problem. A lot of us read the passage this way. Oh, that means he's the boss and I'm the employee. Uh, He orders me around, and I must, if I'm a Christian wife, do what he says, because he's the boss. And this is not the intention of the passage. You have to remember you're reading something that's in the first century there, and you can't just take the word and say, oh, well, head means head the way I want it to mean head. No, the passage will let you know what head means. You have to read it to see, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, How do husbands submit to their wives? How do wives submit to their husbands? Paul will show us. If you show the next slide there. Okay, I drew it out for you. This is what he is saying. Husbands, how do you submit to your wives? Because verse 21 says submit to one another. Well, you're going to love sacrificially. Because this is what Jesus did for the church. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. This is sacrificial. This is speaking of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross even, which we will celebrate today uh, at the end when we do communion together. So love sacrificially, husbands. This is how you submit to your wife. Love practically. Uh, Paul goes on and he says, Husbands ought to love their wives as they do their own bodies. That means to care for the needs of your wife. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for it just as Christ does the church. Love sacrificially, love practically. This is how you submit to your wife. And the image that's used is one of a head as part of a body. It's not head in terms of a boss. How many of you, you have a head today on your body? How many of you are thankful that you have that head there? How many of you are thankful that there's a body attached to the head? Yes? This is the image that he's using. He's taking the idea of a physical body and he's saying this husband is like, it's an image like the head of a body. If you know anything about biology, you know that the head and the body are very, very closely related. Extremely. You can't have one without the other. 
you, you know, you don't have a head walking around and it has no body. You don't have a body walking around and it has no head. This is the image that he's drawing. He also uses the image of Christ as well. And he likens this husband in, a, in an image to Christ and the church. This is the husband's job. This is how he submits to his wife. Well, what do wives do? Well, submit voluntarily. So this idea of, uh, uh, in verse 22, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. This is a voluntary submission. It's not a forced one. Uh, I, I've dealt with couples before where you have a husband who's behaving in a, in a completely inappropriate, almost abusive fashion with their spouse, and they're trying to force their wife to submit to them using this passage of Scripture. I mean, this is a complete, a complete misinterpretation of the Scripture. The submission there is supposed to be a voluntary one. Who is going to voluntarily, voluntarily submit to someone who is abusive? Nobody. But the passage is calling to this type of voluntary submission, and it calls to a respect at the end of it, uh, verse 33, the wife must respect her husband. He uses the word respect and submit interchangeably there. And this is the idea of really uh, the, the wife, if I can just give you a tip today, those of you who are married or want to be married, can I give you a little tip? Husbands love to be respected. Husbands actually love to be even more than that. They love to be admired. I don't know how many of you husbands will admit that today, uh, but they, they like to be admired and they like to be respected. You want to get your husband upset, disrespect him, especially in front of people. And you will watch that husband get incredibly frustrated. There is a need within uh, husbands for that respect and admiration. And, and I will say it in, in, you know, as we, we want that. And husbands who are honest will admit it to their wives. And there needs to be a, 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 an essence of total respect there and voluntary submission there. This is how the wife submits to the husband. So, folks, this idea of where, you, where the husband is behaving in a way, again, I've seen, I've seen husbands that, are, that have been abusive to their wives to the point where the police have come into this situation and they dare to use this passage as an excuse to get their wives to submit to them. And this is a, a, a terrible, terrible thing to do. And I've seen wives, on the other hand, who, who's, who look at the passage and they say, well, this means I'm not supposed to say anything. I'm never supposed to voice my opinion. I'm never supposed to disagree with him. I'm always supposed to submit to every little last thing that he says. This is not what the passage is teaching. You've got a head and a body there using a physical body as an image. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So husbands, people who are married here, you need to ask yourself, how am I submitting to my wife? And wives, you need to ask yourselves, how am I submitting to my husband? But this is not the idea of, well, he's the boss, he's the ruler, he's in charge, I have no voice. Are you with me so far? These are some of the misconceptions that we have about this passage, and we need to, we need to clear that up. Because Paul isn't justifying any kind of abuse or, or, uh, or aggression or demeaning of wives here at all. Next relationship that we have in this passage, if you go to the next slide... Can you guess what it is? 
is children and parents, right? So you look at the little boy on the left-hand side, and those of you who are parents, you've probably been there, you know, where you're trying to say something to the little guy, and he just, he's, 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 dug, in, he's dug in his feet there, and he's resisting, and he's retaliating, and he's not going to give in. Uh, but then you have another side here, and you've actually got a, a dad there, and he's doing dishes, and his, his little kids are listening to him, and they're doing the dishes as well. And this is the idea of submission, uh, even in the context of family, all right? So if you go to the next slide there, Nick. So children, this is Ephesians, uh, we're in chapter 6 now, but the same idea, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, how? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I want you to note the in the Lord there. It doesn't say simply obey your parents. It says obey your parents in the Lord. Implication here, there's an understanding that when we're submitting to our parents, obeying our parents, we're doing so in the Lord. We know the Lord and the implication there is they know the Lord. You have to understand the the context of the whole letter. Paul is writing to the church about the church and saying to these groups of people, you are in Christ. Therefore, this is how you should believe and this is how you should behave. This is what the whole letter is about. It's not an evangelistic letter to get people converted to Christ. It's a letter to the church explaining what the church is, helping the believer understand what their identity in Christ is, and the consequences of that, okay? So obey your parents in the Lord. If your parents are doing something or have done something that is, again, completely, completely off the wall, and I know many people who are Christians, and wow, their their upbringing and even their whole present situation, the parents are, I mean, it's a complete dysfunction. And they look at a passage like this and they say, well, I have to do everything that they say. I have to do everything that they say, even in this situation. No, obey your parents in the Lord. If you're going to have to do something that's breaking, uh, in a sense, your relationship with God, well, that's not in the Lord. And you have to understand the context of the passage. Honor your father and your mother out of Exodus, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Listen, your parents, and I know you you all are grown, uh, but those of you who have kids, your responsibility is to raise those kids and protect them. This is why they should obey you, because you mean the best for them. Because you know, you can see down the track, and you can play the tape forward a little bit, and you want to teach them to make right choices in life. This is why you want them to do what you say, so that it may go well with them, and that they may enjoy long life on the earth. And then it goes into fathers, and this could apply to parents as well. Do not exasperate your children. Uh, there's a, uh, a passage that looks very similar in the book of Colossians in chapter 3. And there it says, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And Ephesians, instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Do not exasperate them. 
Do not embitter them. I have seen so many situations where kids are growing up and they're trying to do things to please their demanding parents who want them to be a certain way or behave a certain way. And how do these kids turn out? They turn out bitter. They get discouraged. I can never do enough for him. I can never be good enough for her. Because there's these demands that are placed on the kids and it's exasperating to them. It's discouraging for them and they lose heart. Paul's saying, don't do that. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And we can get very intimidated as parents when we look at that and say, well, I don't know how to train this kid and instruct this kid uh, in the Lord. Can Can you just... Don't hold yourself under so much pressure. Uh, Even back in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the writer there says these commandments are to be um, uh, on the doorposts of your of your homes and so forth. But he says, talk about them while you walk in the road, while you go through your everyday life is the point. Look for opportunities. Those of you who are parents to try and bring God into the conversation to try and bring God into the equation naturally, and you're going to see that your kids are going to start to respond to that. This is part of training and instruction. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, a Bible college professor. It just means you've got to look for moments to bring God into the conversation rather than placing all these demands on your kids to be perfect. Well, no, you want to train them and instruct them in the Lord. Do not exasperate them. Do not embitter them. Next uh, series of relationships, and this is the last one uh, in the passage. Go to the next picture. What do you think this is? This is at the workplace, right? So you see the boss on the left-hand side there, and he's kind of herding the animals with his whip, right? How many of you ever worked for a boss like that, right? And that's the boss, and he's doing his thing. And then you see two employees there, but one of them has a knife in their hand, Because they're what you call a backstabber. How many of you have ever been stabbed in the back at work by a co-worker? You know what that feels like. And then you have the guy on the other side and he's just a bad, he's a flat out bad worker. He's just a bad employee. He's kind of flaked off. He's tuned out. And Paul, he addresses this even in this subject. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, how? And he uses an image that can be very, very confusing for us. He uses slaves and masters. Now, this relationship back then has an application today for the modern day workplace. You have to understand that first century Roman slavery is not the same as a modern understanding of it at all. Back in the Roman Empire, a huge percentage of the population were slaves. Some of them had good jobs. They were teachers. Some of them actually even owned land. Uh, But the the idea of slavery meant that they were owned by somebody else. They were usually bound to their master for life, although they could buy their way out of it at times. Uh, We even have a letter in the New Testament called Philemon, which is written to a man who owned a slave, who's a runaway. And Paul's advice to this runaway slave, it was not the same as what we see today in slavery. So don't look at the passage and think, oh, well, the Bible condones slavery. The Bible does nothing of the kind. In fact, even in the Bible, Paul says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. But he's addressing this cultural setup that was back then. 
And today, it would easily apply to the modern-day situation of employee-employer, okay? So he starts and he goes into the slaves, or you could say the word employee there, and that would be a good way to apply it. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when they're looking at you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. I love the bumper sticker that says on the back, my boss is a Jewish carpenter, referring to Jesus in a bit of a joking way there. You've got to remember, those of you who are in the marketplace, and, and almost all of you are, are there or have been there or going or coming or whatever, you've got to understand that ultimately your boss is not your boss. Ultimately, your boss, the person who you're working for, is God himself. Um, so if you're on a punch clock, when you punch that clock, you start working, yes? You may be able to cheat the boss, but you can't cheat the boss upstairs. He's always watching. And this is what Paul means when he says, with sincerity of heart, not only when they're watching, but when they're not watching. You work for God. Ultimately, he is your boss. I don't know if you've ever had a situation at your work where you disliked your boss. Any of you had that before? Well, I'll raise my hand and say that. Okay, I haven't only worked in the church all my life. Okay, I've worked in other contexts, and there's been situations where I did not like my boss. And probably my boss did not like me either. But in the end, you say, well, who, who am I working for? Ultimately, I'm working for the Jewish carpenter. Ultimately, he's the one who's really paying my bills. Ultimately, I'm working for him. And when you do that, and your employer sees it, I'm telling you, your employer is going to take notice. People who are Christians, who are in the marketplace, who serve there, we should stick out like a sore thumb. People should look at us and say, wow, look at their work ethic. Look at how they run their hours. Look at how they run their schedule. Look at how well they do their work. Even when I'm not there, even when I'm there as a boss, Wow, why do they work so well, even in this rather boring job, etc., etc.? We should stick out like a sore thumb so that our employer looks and says, Wow, what is it about you that you have such a high standard in the way that you work? I can remember working for people who weren't even believers uh, in one job where I worked, and some people who were Christians came into the place where I was working. And they looked at this particular boss that I had at the time, and they said, is she a Christian? It was a woman boss. They said, is she a Christian? I said, no, she isn't. And they were Christians. And they said, wow, she sure does behave like one. And I said, yes, she does. Uh, and I was the believer in the place, the only believer in the place. But people should look at us and see something different because of that sincerity that we understand that we're working for God. We're not working for people. Paul says it this way to the Colossians, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Do it with all your heart because you're not working for a human master. And what about the employers? What about the bosses? Well, remember, your boss is that same Jewish carpenter. 
Your boss is that same Jesus, and there is no favoritism with him. So Paul says to the bosses there, treat your slaves in the same way. What way? Well, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. If you have people under your authority and people are working for you, be very careful how you treat those people because God is watching. Whether, and it doesn't matter whether a person's a believer or an unbeliever, God is watching how things are running. And God has a way of balancing the books in the end, if you know what I'm saying, because with him there is no favoritism. So the whole idea, we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is not only speaking to a wife and a husband. It's speaking to family. It's speaking to your whole situation, even in your marketplace today. Before we go into communion, I'm going to do something that I've done a couple of weeks ago. And uh, even though there's uh, you know quite a few people here today, relatively speaking, I wonder, seeing as this may be new for some of you, if there are any questions that I can answer before we go into a time of communion today. I would be happy to answer them. Anything on this subject or anything in the whole relationship series that we've done for the last five weeks? Only Eric has a question. But I think it's either he's hungry or something else. <laughs> Anybody else? Please don't be shy. If you want to ask a question, I am very open to that. Yes, Kayi. Yes. If you're submitting to your boss, is it good to change jobs? Okay, so in your question, I detect that you may want, or the person that you're thinking about may want to change jobs, even though they're submitting to their boss. Yes? Well, it, it means, you're, it means you're, you're, you're doing what you're asked to do. This is what it means. But it doesn't mean that you can't change jobs either. It, the, the scripture doesn't say never, never, you know, change jobs. No, it's where you're working, you need, to, you need to submit and you need to work as if you're working for God. Can I give you an example? Do you know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? So Joseph, the, uh, the fellow in Genesis there, he's the dreamer. And he has all these dreams and he, his, his father treats him seemingly better than all the other brothers. And he gives him the famous coat of many colors. Have you heard this story? And he has this dream that he, in effect, is higher than all the rest of his brothers. And he tells his brothers, his brothers get upset. And what do they do? They, they throw him into a pit. He ends up getting sold into slavery. He ends up in the whole Egyptian system. But he ends up with a job. He's working in different contexts there. We see him in the prison. And when he's in the prison, he's the best prisoner that there is. So what do they do? They give him a job in the prison. He's kind of like the assistant warden in the prison. He gets out of prison. He ends up in the Egyptian fellow's household. He's like number two in command there eventually. Why? Because he does exactly what Paul is saying here. He works with all of his heart regardless of whatever his job is even in jail. 
Okay, so you may be in jail today, or the person you're maybe talking about may be in jail. It doesn't mean you, you, you can't go, you know, to, to, to the household of the Egyptian leader. It doesn't mean you can't change jobs. It just means wherever you are, you need to work at it with all your heart. Does that make sense? Yes, Frank. Well, and this is the same thing, even, even wives and husbands, even children and parents. If you have a situation where you're, uh, where you're in an abusive relationship, period, regardless if it's marriage or family or work-related, that needs to be addressed. Unfortunately, I've seen that even in Christian contexts. Uh, across the board, in multiple church settings, across different church organizations, I've seen it where even Christian employees are, in, are abused by Christian employees. And it needs to be addressed and they need to get out of there. Um, I've seen it in other contexts as well where they weren't believers at all. But no one is supposed to endure an, uh, an abusive situation. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be challenged. It can't just be, well, I just need to sit here and submit. I mean, that would be like the wife who's being abused by her husband and she can't do anything about it.